Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck, and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige. Paige Baumert, that is. Hi, Paige. How are you? Hello. Doing great. Wonderful. Paige, I love our little talks. I love our podcast. It's so fun to connect with you and to have these conversations about really relevant topics. Today, we're going to be talking about how to teach children to handle disappointment. This is a really common thing. It can happen with almost any child. There's disappointing things that occur. How do we help them understand how to handle that disappointment so that it doesn't take over their day, take over their whole mood, create attitude problems or misbehavior? which can happen. But before we're going to talk about that, we need to share a fun family activity because it is tradition here at the Teaching Self-Government Podcast to talk about some fun family activities that you can do for your family. So it's almost New Year's, Paige, and I know you have an idea for New Year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our family, we have a tradition that we do every New Year's Eve. And uh, that is as soon as it hits midnight, you know, for the new year, we go out on the front porch and we bang pots and pans and we yell happy new year to everyone, you know, whether they're asleep or awake, it doesn't matter anyway, (laughs) but we bang pots and pans. And then my dad, he brings out his trumpet, which is usually like the only time once per year that he brings it out and he plays Auld Lang Syne. And it's actually really cool because Um, it's a very somber thing that happens while, you know, fireworks are going off and different things, but there's just Auld Lang Syne playing by trumpet, you know, singular trumpet, um, into the night, which I think is really cool. It's kind of eerie. Like it's a cool eerie. It's like the still of the night. He waits till everybody's done yelling and then, and the neighbors come out to watch Mm -hmm. this and then he plays that song into that stillness of the night and everybody just listens and there's just something so eerie and beautiful about that Mm -hmm. yeah so but then once that's over then we put our pots and pans underneath the christmas tree which is still up and we we wait for santa claus to drop one last gift on his way back to the north pole So uh, we call that our kettle gift. So that way on New Year's morning, we wake up and there's one last little gift inside our little pot. Mm -hmm. So So this was a thing thing that was a tradition when I was a little girl Mm -hmm. and it was just so fun. It was like, there was like Santa, this time continuum thing. It takes a long time to get to everybody, whatever. But, but finally come, come uh, New Year's Eve, he's on his way back to the North Pole. And so he is going to drop off that one last gift to us. And then in the morning, when we finally get up after staying up late <laughs> on New, Year Eve, New Year's Eve, um, my parents didn't wake up for this. They would, they would stay in bed and, and we often do too. But then everybody goes out to their little kettle and sees what they find. Maybe it's a coloring book. Maybe it's a new matchbox car. It's not, it's not huge. It's like a little thing, you know, mm-hmm. but it was just something fun to look forward to with the new year. Of course, we also did resolutions. 
always like, okay, mm -hmm. what are my new year resolutions? And so we would take time to write down our new year resolutions, but that was just a fun little, you know, thing to look forward to for the children yeah. and made banging the pot with your spoon really important, <laughs> you know, like this is my pot, I'm banging it, I'm ringing in the new year, Santa will know, and he will put a, yeah. a gift in this, you know, in my and pot. Yeah, it just made it fun, you know, something just simple. And we always had a little bit of sparkling apple cider. Oh, yes. Well. Not as much for me. Thank you. No. Martinelli's, yeah. though, that's where it's at. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Super fun stuff. I know people have a lot of New Year traditions, but if you want a new one, that one is super easy. It's super fun. The children look forward to it. And you could just be like, wow, I never even knew that. You know, if we bang a pot or pan outside and we put it under our tree, Santa will give us another gift. I have no idea, but make sure you've already got those little gifts somewhere, you know, well, actually the Santa, make sure he knows you're going to do it. That's the thing. Okay. So let's talk about disappointment and handling disappointment. We're going to do that through the lens of self-government. So this is a teaching self-government podcast, which means everything we do and talk about here relates to self-government. Paige, how do you describe self-government? Self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Yeah, this is a powerful principle. The principle is I can notice my own behavior and what the effects are to my own behavior and not just my own behavior, but my own thoughts my own emotions, I can recognize all these things and I can decide, do I want to stay having those same effects every time or do I want a different effect? Do mm -hmm. I have goals? Do I have a direction I want to go? And if I do, do I want to change my action or change my thought so that I can get a different effect? So that is self-government. It relates to honestly everything that we do in our lives. And it is one of the recipes to freedom. If we understand that we are in control of our thoughts and our actions, even if things happen to us, even if bad things happen to us, you know, just like, I mean, doesn't every person that's ever been in a, in a prison camp ever you know, like if they if they make it out, they always say, okay, the mental game, the mental war, what I had to do within my own, my own mind, my own behavior, what I had to decide I could get through, that was power. That's how I got mm -hmm. through that, right? And we look at those, those well, people. And that's like, governing your mind, governing yourself. Yeah. And we look at people like Viktor Frankl, you know, prison camp, and we think, whoa, that's so inspiring. But every person has the ability to be in charge of their choices, their thoughts, their actions. That's what self-government means. That doesn't mean we don't recognize when we have another feeling or something, <laughs> but we, we plan for what to do with it so that we get the outcome that we want instead of being the slave to every thought or wave of, of emotion that could come upon us, which really then makes us feel defeated a lot of the time. And I think we're seeing around us, Paige, I know you probably have recognized this. In fact, I know you, you have, we've talked about this, but we're, we're seeing around us this, this embracing of feeling defeated. And then we wonder, you know, oh, well, why is there so much increase in bullying? Well, could it be because nobody's standing up for anything, you know, or, 
or because people don't know how to solve their problems. So they go straight to bullying, you mm-hmm. know, because it's just emotional dumping on other people. There's an increase in depression an increase in suicide an increase in some pretty catastrophic things that we're seeing on the rise. And um, they could definitely at least be curtailed a little bit if a person understood the power that they have within to make their own decisions and to try to govern themselves. For sure. This is taught in families. That's the best place to learn self-government. Obviously a person could tell you the principle and you could, you know, try to apply it to your life, which is what we're doing here, but your children, if they learn it in your home, it will change everything for them. Mm -hmm. And Paige, self-government's changed your life, right? I mean, there are things, yeah, there are things that, that you could definitely say that have been, uh, you know, it wouldn't, you wouldn't even have the life you have without self-government. So how would you be a very different person? Yeah. So what are some things you've had to overcome? I mean, without getting too personal, of course. (laughs) Um, a lot of things, um, I can be a very stubborn person. So, um, especially, you know, once I hit adulthood, when I was first, you know, 18 years old, there were things that I really, really wanted, and um, things that didn't quite happen. For example, uh, when I was a fresh 18 year old, I really wanted a boyfriend. <laughs> and I was going to have what a 18 boyfriend. year old does not want a boyfriend. I know. I'm or like, a girlfriend. I, yeah. I was going to have a boyfriend no matter what because I was going to make it happen. Um, and so, <laughs> me being the very bold person that I am, you know, I. I chased after quite a, quite a few boys, uh, you know, at college. So you were a little desperate. Is that- I, well, maybe. I, yeah. I guess you could say desperate. I, I was just really determined. Yeah. <laughs> not, not quite desperate, but determined and without fail, pretty much every boy that I pursued ended up going off and getting a different girlfriend. Oh yeah. And yeah. I'm like, this is awful. And I remember calling you crying uh, one time and just saying, you know, I, I don't feel beautiful. No one's going to love me. One of my biggest fears is that I'm not going to be loved, you know, like that, like I want to, you know, cause it's different than a parental love. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be cherished. I wanted to be valued by someone else. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was something that I had a hard time with, you know, until um, it, you know, it took a little bit to get over it and to understand. Well, I remember we had a conversation about how you had to be enough without a boyfriend in order to attract the right guy. Right. Right. And so so basically you had to drop the subject about it. You had to, you had to accept the no answer. Well, I, I really like that guy, but he likes somebody else. So Mm -hmm. there we go. And I had to decide not to take it personally. And that was a big decision to take. But when you got to that place, Paige, that was a really interesting thing because you just then just kind of launched in a different way. I mean, you, you had, you never didn't launch. You always were launching, but it was like a, a whole new, your determination went in a different direction. And you're like, okay, you know what? 
whole new life. I think, yeah, you're like, okay, I am going to just dive into my school. I'm going to dive into a lot of these friend relationships. I'm going to start to prepare to give God some time in my life and serve a mission for my church, which you wanted to do. There Mm -hmm. were a lot of things that you just decided, okay, I am making a direction that is not caught up in all this other stuff that everybody else is putting this high priority on. And, Mm -hmm. and you ended up having experiences in your life that were so valuable and so much happiness and so much personal power. And then later, you know, when you came back from spending a year and a half in Detroit in, in, you know, that area serving a mission for our church and, and just really giving of yourself in a different way. It was, um, well, there definitely was more of a, a maturity to you, more of an attractiveness. You were ready for some other things. And at that point, um, you didn't have to work so hard, did you? No, no. <laughs> you know, once I said, oh, you know, I'm back from this, this church mission, you know, boys are like, oh, okay. So, so you're ready for the next step in life. I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of am. So, um, you know, they were, they were more attracted to me at that point, but I had also, like you said, matured a lot emotionally mm-hmm. and I was able to, um, cause I had a lot of experiences in Michigan where I had to learn how to get through situations, um, without being so emotionally attached. Mm. Um, you had to learn how to handle disappointment, Paige. I did. I did. Amazing. Was, yeah, Amazing. I worked with a lot of different people and they had a lot of different temperaments, a lot of different, um, sometimes, you know, emotional baggage and emotional drama. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to deal with that, especially because I was with another person 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you you had to learn to get along with all different kinds of people and try to work with them, make something happen, help other people do service with the other person, and hopefully you're all getting along. But sometimes things didn't go your way, right? There was probably a lot of times things didn't go your way. And so you had to learn how to handle disappointment. And that's what we mm-hmm. really want to hit on today is disappointment and how to handle disappointment. So um, this is a really common type statement that I hear. People will tell me this all the time. They'll say, oh, Nicolene, my child, he is so sweet and loving, but he just can't handle when things don't go his way. Hmm. So he gets disappointed if he loses a game or if he can't find something or if he doesn't get chosen to do something when another child does get chosen, you know, maybe a child earns a prize or gets to be a helper and this child doesn't get to be a helper, you know. And so then they'll say, how do I help my my son or my daughter handle disappointment? This is super common. And so and they'll they'll say, you know, we're doing we're doing the four basic skills, you know, and we're, we're trying to learn self-government, but, but my child just, they really feel deeply, you know, about these things that they don't get. And it just brings up emotions that they, they have really strong emotions and mm-hmm. how do I help them, you know, with these strong emotions and with these deep feelings that I have or that they have. So this is a really big thing that parents are dealing with right now. And I, and we decided to, to do this podcast because someone asked again, a similar uh, question on the YouTube channel mm-hmm. about this. And so we thought, okay, well, we promise those comments get read. <laughs> they do. They get read. We, you know, we get, we get to them when we can anyway. So this is a really common behavior. Um, but it is not just exclusive to young children, okay? Although it does usually affect more immature people. And that's because 
immature people usually are more short-sighted. They don't see a bigger picture. They don't understand how everyone connects together in a broader sense. Mm -hmm. They don't take the time to look outside of themselves and say, well, maybe that person, you know, needs to have some happiness right now or needs to have a success right now, you know? Yeah. They don't fully analyze the situation, taking everyone into account. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, but a mature person does. If a person is truly mature, then they look around themselves and they say, okay, that person's littler, so they don't know how to do stuff. So I'm going to sacrifice for them. And I'm fine with that. I'm going to do that. This other person over here, they, you know, they're working toward this. They're putting a lot of effort in on it. And even though I am too, they could win and I could not win. Right. Or we're playing a game and it's just for fun. It doesn't matter who wins. We don't need to get so caught up in it. That That was when I had to train myself on. I'm like, it's just a game. It's just a game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, isn't it silly to think? I think you have to be able to laugh if you win, laugh if you lose. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're truly mature, you can say, isn't the point that we played the game together? Isn't that the point? You know, the point isn't that I came out the best. Because what is that? That's just greedy. It's just, it's just selfish. It's greedy, but small children and sometimes other people who have not matured fully yet, they do have a tendency to get very selfish, very self-focused. Okay. So self-centered, and then they can have more disappointments than others. And I think it's, it's good to point out though, that it's okay to be competitive, but you have to be okay with not winning with the outcome you have to be okay with the effort Mm -hmm. right you have to be okay with the experience and with the effort and and the thing is is that actually has to be trained to a person yeah well and like if you think about it a lot of adults um not necessarily when it comes to games but just think like you could put a whole lot of effort a couple hours into making a new recipe you know as a mom and you know you serve it to your family like this doesn't taste very good you know, or, and then you taste it yourself. Like, you're right. It really doesn't. And you're just like, well, I just spent two hours making this food that doesn't taste very good. So are you going to be all upset about it? Or are you going to say, well, I guess we just won't try that recipe again, you know, or are you going to work on it until you get it how you want it? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a thing. So we've kind of been getting into Abel Skeevers a lot lately. <laughs> and um, because I loved Abel Skeevers. When I say, I you might want to explain what those are. Not everyone knows yeah. what those are. They're, da- they're Danish pancakes. They're these little balls that you cook in these special Basically pans. pancake balls. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like pancake balls. Yeah. Anyway, I had a neighbor that used to make them. And anytime I was over there and they made this, oh, I was just heaven. I could eat these. <laughs> And so I've craved them since I was a little child. And uh, anyway, and then I thought, I thought, why don't I try to see if I can make them gluten-free, you know? And so I started trying to make them gluten-free. I got an Abel Skeever pan and I started <laughs> working on it. And the first time I made them, I thought they turned out pretty good. But Porter was like, they're kind of like blah. And I'm like, what? Okay, what did I do wrong here? Because I, <laughs> because, you know, gluten-free, my standard is maybe a little different, but I'm wanting him to like them, even though he doesn't have to eat gluten-free. I'm like, I got to try this again. So then I get a different recipe, you know, and to be, to be fair, I left out any of the sugar and stuff in them in the first place. Cause I was like, (laughs) I don't want the sugar. I'll add something else, you know, anyway. And I think to him, he was like, eh. And so I thought, okay, I'll make a different recipe. I'll add the sugar, I'll whatever. And I'm still going to make them gluten-free. And I did. And then when I made that recipe, it was like, they didn't cook right. 
I was like, what? What? <laughs> and, and they and each little ball has to cook and be turned. It like takes a long time to make these mm-hmm. things. Anyway, and so I thought, ah, oh, this is crazy. So some of them that were like putting in the middle still, I had to bring them back, cook them again, <laughs> you know, all this. And then, but then they were like, yeah, they're pretty good. And Porter was like, well, they're a little bit better. Spencer ate none. I was like, this is crazy. Rude. I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Anyway, so then I thought, okay, I'm doing it again. And then I realized why the first batch didn't turn out right. I and I tried it again a different day. And anyway, and then they finally, you know, turned out. But I thought, this is crazy, you know, working at it again and again. Well, and then again. you ended up making way too much the third time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did because well, because yeah, I was adjusting the anyway well because you missed yeah you missed an ingredient and then you put it in and it made way more than you thought it would and yeah yeah just (laughs) silly things you know but I think I got it okay I think I got it on (laughs) anyway but but the thing is is is, oh so how did I handle disappointment I went well darn that didn't turn out let's see what could I do different in the future right or oh wait that wasn't quite right what can I now do yeah. And or even what did I do still, wrong? Let's go back and think about this. Yeah. And even still, I'm like, okay, well, how can I adjust it going forward? So instead of getting down and going, well, I'm no good at able skeepers. I can't make them. I, you know, <laughs> why did I waste my money on this pan? Why did I waste my time? Nobody cares. Nobody appreciates my work, you know, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. You know, I could start playing the martyr, right. And doing that. But instead I thought, okay, well, let's learn from this. Right. Because that is definitely a mature thing to do to say, well, okay, right. I got to learn from this and I got to get better going. Well, I think a really big thing too, is you go into something like that thinking, you know, I'm going to put this effort in. However, if things don't go the way I want them to, I'm not going to be let down. You know, I'm just going to think about it and determine if we're going to try this again, or maybe it's not worth the effort. Okay. So let's talk about how we teach this then, because you just hit something really heavy and that is pre-teaching. Okay. So, so we have four basic skills in the teaching self-government program, and then there's five teaching styles. So basically there's nine skill sets that a person needs to learn. And this is the children and the parents, everyone learns these things, but one of those five teaching styles is pre-teaching. And there's three different ways that we do pre-teaching, but what you're talking about is pre-teaching yourself. If you Mm -hmm. truly are self-governed, then you would pre-teach yourself. You would say, I'm going to try this, see what happens. If it doesn't go right, Hey, back to the drawing drawing board. I will try again. Okay. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any invention if that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, that w- innovation would be lost if, if no one ever came to that place. If someone has to be perfect at something before they ever even start it or try it for their first time, that we are feeding people lies. And I think, you know, a lot of parents don't There's let no their children. Growth. Yeah. A lot of children, a lot of parents don't let their children fail. They don't Mm -hmm. want their child to experience failure. So what happens is they don't let the child have failure. They make sure everything turns out perfect, like picture perfect for the Instagram successful. And so then what happens is if the child does fail, they, they feel that failure acutely. It's even more so than just your regular run of the mill. Oh, well, I didn't do good at that. Or somebody else was better than me. Not only are you disappointing yourself, but you're disappointing other people as well. Well, yeah. And you can't even appreciate when anybody else does good because it's all about you all the time because everything has always turned out good for you. Mm -hmm. So ways that we set our children up for this is by not pre-teaching them. Um, like Paige is talking about, we've got to talk to them ahead of time about what they could possibly expect when they try something new. 
And then we've got to not micromanage all of it and control it. We've got to give them the chance to go and to try it and to fail and go through craft supplies like nobody's business and try them again and again and again. And it didn't work and hammer the <laughs> nail and pull it out and hammer it again and pull it out and go, oh no, now I need the wood because the hole is too big, you know, or whatever. But like, we've got, we've got to give them the chance to try and to fail. And we've got to show them other people's successes and praise those other people's successes and not act like we have to compare ourselves to those other people. Mm -hmm. Which really means that when we have failures in front of them, we need to not be down about it. We need to say, well, I'm going to try that recipe again, or, you know what, I'm going to see if I can fix it, you know, whatever we need to show that optimism going forward. This is huge because it preps the brain of the person. So if we don't give our children enough opportunity to just, you know, get their feet wet in adult things, then they actually are never going to feel confident enough to take those steps. And then if anything ever goes wrong, when they do take a try, they will just hit their bottom like Mm -hmm. that fast, you know, so we've got to make sure that we give them those opportunities. So another thing that we can do as far as pre-teaching goes is um, we can prepare what thoughts we are actually going to say in our heads and out our mouths, actually. So, so Paige, you have a new baby right now. Yep. So at some point you had to pre-teach yourself about what your thoughts were going to be if the baby woke up in the, in the middle of the night or early in the morning, and Mm -hmm. you were going to have to miss your sleep. You you would have had to pre-teach yourself. Otherwise you would have been stuck thinking, ah, I hate this. I would have been stuck in a very selfish mindset. Mm -hmm. So, um, while I was pregnant, so probably about seven and a half, eight months along, give or take, Um, I told myself, okay, you know, she's going to be waking up in the middle of the night. And when I hear her cries through the baby monitor, then I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to her and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feed her and it's going to be okay because her growth is more important than my sleep at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, but we actually got really blessed because, uh, once she hit about a month and a half, she started sleeping 10 plus hours through the night. So, <laughs> Super so that didn't happen. You know, that didn't last too long, which was great because I love my sleep. So <laughs> just like her mother, just watch out. She hits her adolescent years. She'll never want to get out of the bed, but you, <laughs> but you will love the fact that you get to sleep in for many mm-hmm. years, which will be very nice. Yeah. So anyway, it was, but it you was just to- a mindset. Yeah. You had to prepare yourself. You had to think, I will think about her needs. I will not think about myself. Mm -hmm. If I think about myself, I will push that thought away because it is about her needs. And I am the person that is meant to meet her needs. Right. Yep. Well, then that creates an expectation for myself because I know there have been times where, um, you know, I was doing something else and maybe she started crying and I, I left her to cry for a few minutes and I'm like, what am I doing? this isn't even that important. Go to your baby, you know, make her her food and feed her. <laughs> and I felt guilty, you know, I'm like, oh shoot. But yeah, well, I mean, it's one thing to let them squawk a little bit and see if they can calm themselves, you know, but it, but isn't, it's another thing when you're like, okay, I just got to get my thing done. And then you're like, yeah. wait a second. Well, and it was, like, how important is my thing? Really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause it brought up, you know, a certain level of disappointment. I'm like, I'm such a, that was a bad mom moment. 
you know, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. And so, but you know, cause some moms, they could fall into like, Oh, I'm such a terrible mom, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's a case of disappointment as well. You have to say, well, you know, that wasn't my brightest moment, but we're going to move forward and not do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had to prepare yourself to handle the no answers when they would come, these little disappointments of her that mommy guilt crying or whatever. <laughs> but then you also had to decide in the minute, okay, I can't get stuck in beating myself up over this. I just have to make a new behavior pattern mm-hmm. so that I don't, so she doesn't cry very much, you know, as long or whatever it is, you know, at right. that particular time. Yeah. There's a lot of the mature life, you know, really does help us so much self-analyzation. Yeah, learn how to prepare ourselves to handle disappointment. And if a person never gets the opportunity to get to, to get to that place, they don't fully mature. That's why I always have thought, you know, a person really gets that opportunity to really hit that that extra special level of maturity when they have a child of their own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you just don't understand what true sacrifice. And, and being happy about the sacrifice and everything else is all about until you have your own child. There's just, there's just nothing that compares. No cause, no anything. It, there's nothing yep. that compares. <laughs> okay. So pre-teaching, proactively preparing. So with your children who maybe have a hard time with disappointments, you'll want to pull them aside, have a little what I call a parent counseling session about disappointments and say, you know, when something is disappointing to you, what does it feel like? What kind of thoughts go through your head when you feel, you know, disappointed, you know, teach them what that word means and what it feels like for them. And then say, okay, so when you feel that way, what kinds of thoughts pop into your mind? Mm -hmm. Because you have to analyze those thoughts. Those are very important. Yeah. And then you can say, well, if you, if you give into that thought, if they think, well, I'm so mad then, okay, well, if you give into that thought, I'm so mad, what are you going to maybe do? And then how is, is that going to really help you in the end? Let's, let's look at that. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you could do a sodas. So we teach these sodas exercises, which are a problem solving exercise. It's a written or verbal exercise where you go through the situations, the options that you have, the disadvantages to those options, the advantages to those options, and then the solution that you're going to be choosing after you've looked at all your options. And basically you could talk through something like that with a child and say, well, what other thoughts could we have and where could those lead us, right? So then instead of thinking, I'll be so mad or I'm so mad, you could think, what should I learn from this? Or Mm -hmm. what do I need to understand about the situation? Or how can I move forward in this situation? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different thoughts that you could have. I mean, depending on the Yeah, you have to train your children to think like that though, because those are the thoughts of self-analyzation. Mm-hmm without emotional ties, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And they're mature. So you are literally maturing the child by doing that analysis with the child Mm -hmm. and making those plans. And so I, I remember a woman in our community, she said to me one time, Nicolene, your children are the happiest people I have ever met. They're the happiest children. (laughs) They're, they seem to be older for their age. Somehow they're so mature. And I said, you know, well, thank you. That's, that's very nice. They are actually. And then I said, you know, I actually purposely wanted them to mature. I I wasn't trying to hold them back and keep them babies. I I want them to be confident going forward. So 
So we do a lot of deliberate training. And this is the type of training that we did because obviously we're going to have disappointments. Just like, even though we did all this training, Paige still had disappointments. It called me crying, right? When she was yep. in college, she still had <laughs> As an adult. <laughs> well, because you know what? Each new thing is a new thing. And sometimes you have to see, okay, wait, how does it apply? But I do remember you well, saying- sometimes you get caught off guard. Even when you were in, in Michigan, I remember when you, you had one person you were working with in particular, it was very difficult. And I remember you saying, mom, I've been disagreeing appropriately, like every day, like all day, like <laughs> I am trying not to get upset with this person. I'm like, good for you, Paige. Good for you. So, you know, I mean, you were doing it too, like all mm-hmm. on your own, but sometimes you just need to talk to somebody. Yep. So anyway, okay, number two, and this number two thing is going to be what you're going to remind them to do all the time is to learn a skill. The skill is called accepting no answers. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's interesting because in your children's book, which focuses on the skill Porter earns a quarter, um, you mentioned in there that when something doesn't go your way, it's just like, it's almost the same as someone telling you no. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what happens to disappointment, whether someone physically, verbally says no or the situation doesn't go how you had planned, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So true, Paige. So, you know, you might be in a running race and you don't win or you fall down. That's something that didn't go your way. You get the Mm -hmm. middle seat in the car. Something didn't go your way. Somebody took the last cookie. That didn't go your way. Those are all no answers. You can't find something. Those are all disappointments. Mm-hmm. They're little disappointments that occur. And so basically a disappointment is like a no answer. That's what Paige yeah. is saying. And so if we can learn how to accept a no answer when somebody actually says no, and then explain that every boundary line is a no answer, plus disappointments are a no answer. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn how to do the four steps to accepting a no answer. Paige, what are those four steps? So you look at the person, keep a calm voice, face and body say okay or ask to disagree appropriately and then drop the subject. Yeah. Now that sounds pretty basic, but it's actually hard to do in the minute. Yeah, emotionally, yeah. it can be very difficult. Yeah, especially if you haven't prepared. So again, you're going to preteach the skill to your children and then you're going to explain this is what we're going to do when we have disappointments. So let's have a jar right now and in this jar we're going to have pieces of paper and these pieces of paper are going to have different scenarios and we're going to pull out, you know, three scenarios or five scenarios a day or whatever. And we're going to say, "Okay, let's act out this one. It's called um somebody's using a toy I want to use." <laughs> you know, or we pull out another piece of paper that says um I want a treat and mom says no right now. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be a, a disappointment. It can actually be really enough. helpful for younger children to do something like that, to have, you know, maybe you have a jar or a basket specifically of situations where a no answer could occur mm-hmm. and then helping them see that, oh, this skill applies to all of these different situations. Because mm-hmm. especially when they're really young, um, something that I tell people a lot is, Kids don't have, you know, what I call skill permanence, you know, when babies, they don't have object permanence, you mm-hmm. know, if something, if they can't see it, then it's not there. So a lot of younger children don't have that skill permanence, so they can't apply it from one situation to another. Mm-hmm. So you have to help them understand that the same skill applies to lots of different situations. And that does, that can be helped through role play, like you were saying. Totally. There's a lot of adults that don't have skill permanence. Yes. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't want to, I, I shouldn't be too lighthearted about that, but it's true. They're like, okay, I'm going to be calm because so-and-so broke my favorite vase or whatever. Okay. My, my China dish, I'm going to be calm because it's just a dish. But then when that child rolls their eyes at the parent later, they're like, don't you do that to me. You know, and then all of a sudden they, they don't use the same calmness that they, they have haven't in connected that situation. Yeah. In this yeah. different situation. So it takes practice to create that mm-hmm. permanence that you're talking about. So well, and to be constantly analyzing where it applies, mm-hmm. you know, totally. cause that's, that's part of handling disappointment is stepping back, um, you know, putting your, your emotions and feelings aside and saying, okay, you know, what am I going to do in this situation? Mm-hmm. How, what skill do I have? What's in my tool belt that I can use? Yeah, totally, totally. Okay. So the, these steps, keeping a calm face, voice, and body, you have to deliberately teach them. You mm-hmm. have to say, what does it look like? And you have to, to show calm? them. Yeah. What does it look like or feel like when you're not calm and you got to like role play it out, practice it, and then drop the subject. And, yeah. And you have to do that a lot, especially when they're young, Roll, lots of role play. I tell that to people all the time, especially mm-hmm. when they have little kids. Oh yeah. It, no, it is. It's super important because their prefrontal cortexes are so small and they're, they're trying to hook together all these Well, and that's pieces. what helps them learn. That's what helps them analyze. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because it gives them more experience. Mm-hmm. So either there's two ways that you really grow and that's with experiences and then with skill development. Yep. And so someone can say, here's a skill. Wow. That's great. But if you don't ever use it, then you're not going to get that full mm-hmm. benefit of that skill. You've got to bring in that experience piece. So, so important, but the drop the subject, you're going to be talking about what that means, what it is, what it is not. If you walk out of the room and then you pout and cry, that's not dropping the subject. If you nag and nag about it, if you whine about it and complain and get a bad mood afterward and get depressed, that's not dropping the subject. This doesn't mean it can't happen to a person that they could experience a downer moment, right? But it's, but it's really the mindset of not getting stuck in that downer moment, but moving forward and saying, you know, yeah, that, that really is not very fun. So even though I feel bad, um, we're just, we're going to go do some other things and, you know, continue on with life. Yeah. Okay. So here's a prime example. So the other day, London and her boyfriend were visiting and I said something that was, I didn't, it didn't come out right. Okay. So, you know, I said something and then, and kind of like the moment I said it, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know if that's going to sit right with London. And she got kind of red faced and I was like, oh, did I do one of those embarrassing mom things? And I'm like, I probably did anyway. And so, but I said something that wasn't quite right. Right. And, and I knew that. And I was like, okay. And, but then, but then after, but then I thought, okay, I'm just going to move on. So I'm like, sorry, you know, but whatever, but this is kind of what I was trying to say. It didn't come out right. And, and so, and, and I just moved on, but literally I had that, that pangy kind of, that was dumb, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like embarrassment moment. Yeah. But it was like a disappointment. Like when you're embarrassed, you're disappointed in yourself. Yeah. Right. So I had this little disappointment feeling that followed me around, honestly, for hours. And I had to keep telling myself, you know what? There is no point in, in worrying about this. Just move on, just move on, you know? And, and then later, so we were somewhere, we got home and, you know, we were at a, we finally at home and I, and I said, listen, you know, I, I just want you to know, da, da, da. And I, and I happened to just say, you know, this is, 
I really am really sorry in, in case you weren't sure, you know? And then I realized, okay, after that, I can't talk about it anymore. I have to drop the subject. I for mm -hmm. sure said my sorry, even though, and, and truly it wasn't like I was being mean or rude or anything. It was just weird. It was just a yeah. weird statement. And yeah, like, sorry for making you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it was just weird. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know, even though the feeling didn't completely go away, I had to decide to laugh it off. I had to decide mm -hmm. to push forward to make my brain move in a new direction. I had yeah. to drop the subject in my so there's, own There's head. still situations that I think about that I have, like I, I did something wrong or did something stupid and I, you know, apologized for it or, you know, I analyzed it with the person and we talked about it and, you know, it, everything was resolved, but I still think about it and I cringe, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I... Uh, when I ran for student government back in the day, it was like in high school, I gave like the worst speech ever. And, I, yes. and it was because of actually, I took somebody's advice that I shouldn't have taken their advice. Anyway, and um, it was awful. And to this day, I still cringe about that. I still get like, like a downer, like, I can't believe I did that. It's yeah. so embarrassing. Especially you being a public speaker now. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was like such a disappointment because I'd never not done well on stage, right? And it was just mm -hmm. like the moment when it all counted and I just like <laughs> bombed it and it was horrible, you know? Mm -hmm. But it, but honestly, even though I still feel a little pang of sadness that it went that way, I can't cater to that. I have to laugh it off, right? And I think that. Yeah. I mean, that's funny thing. at this point. Yeah, but I think that's another thing. And I decided when I said the embarrassing thing to London and to her boyfriend, I decided I'm going to laugh this off. There is nothing else I can do. I have to just say, I'm sorry. I really am. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come out quite like that. And I just, I'm, that's one of those like mommy things, I guess. I don't know. And so sorry. And then I just have to decide to laugh at myself and to not cater to it. Mm -hmm. So well, anyway, you have this experience to draw on for the future. Whenever London and her boyfriend are in your presence again, you can remember that and go, mm, we're not going to do that again. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I will, but, oh, but I yeah, but you know, yeah, lesson learned, right? Sometimes lessons get learned the hard way. And I think we need to explain that to our children. And so okay. sometimes, sometimes they get disappointed in themselves and you say, don't focus on that bad feeling. It might stick around for a while, but don't worry about it. Right. You can acknowledge that it's there and say, but let's just focus on the lesson learned. And then let's just focus on how, how powerful we are that we can drop the subject and not think about it anymore. We can move on. We can even chuckle at ourselves and say, well, everybody does ridiculous things sometimes and that's how it goes, you know, <laughs> and just call it good. So yeah. our children really can be empowered to handle disappointment. They yep. can. And you know what? We can too. So let's work on handling disappointment ourselves too, because if we handle our disappointment well, that teaches our children how to handle their disappointment when yep. they see us set that example. Thank you so much for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. If you would like to find more out about self-government skills or how to implement self-government in your home, be sure to check out the Teaching Self-Government courses and supplies at teachingselfgovernment.com. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.